Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a November 28th edition of the MSP Initiative, MSP Talk. It, you know, we're rounding out the year here. I mean, this is pretty much, you know, the final, you know, the final month. And, you know, for the people that barely work in December, right? I mean, like, could be wrapping up in the next week or two. But, uh, you know, let's, let's get some housekeeping done and then we'll get into some of the good stuff. So, of course, everything that we do here is uh, at mspinitiative.com. Uh, so this session and every other session we've ever done is recorded in both audio and video format. You'll find that here under sessions. We're going to be doing two, not one, but two MSP Community Minds events next year. For the people that came out this year, thank you very much for helping us kind of prove the format a little bit. This is a totally educational event. No vendor booths, I promise you. There's no expo hall here. Uh, totally educational format. Actually, our guest on today's session was one of the people that performed the it was a great session i was great i i you know we're going to talk a little bit about that in this session but you know we wanted people to come and actually get past the 45 minute powerpoint slide deck we you know we wanted true workshops something that you walked away with something actually tangible that's what msp community minds is all about so we have two of these scheduled for next year one's going to be in nashville one's going to be i believe in denver you know we're going to be announcing those dates soon. Uh, again, if you're looking for something that's a little bit different, I think this could be the event for you. And by the way, absolutely 100% free. We're not charging $399, $499, $999 uh, for you to actually show up and attend these. If you're an MSP, you can absolutely join us. I got to get to us, but you can join us at no cost. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Look at all these block parties that we did this year, both in Europe and here in the US. Um, our big one, again, was you know, in Orlando to close out the year for IT Nation. Uh, thank you very much to all the people who came out for the, for that. Uh, we had a great time. Uh, last year, we brought out the All-American Rejects. This year, we brought out Better Than Ezra, Sugar Ray, and Tonic as a 90 super group. And man, they did not disappoint. We really, really, really love these. I know the community loves them too. We have many of these planned for next year. Uh, nothing's changed. We've been doing these for years. Um, these are a celebration for the community. Thank you for coming out. We hope you enjoy them. Um, we did do have some photos and video recaps and everything of this year's. I think we had a little over 2,000 people walk through the front gate of this year's block party in Orlando. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and, and I hope you enjoyed it. Here's some community offers. You know, uh, companies from around the industry that are giving you hookups. We're going to be posting the what's almost 300 you know, known events and what when they're in the calendar, believe it or not, for next year, stay tuned. This calendar right now will, you know, will be expanded into 2024. Uh, plenty of uh, things on there, I promise. Uh, they seem to always go more rather than less. So mspinitiative.com, there it is. Without further ado, <coughs> excuse me, our guest today, and we've had him kind of try and bring him on the beginning of the year somewhere in the middle of the year, now towards the end of the year, because like kind of get a full picture of like the landscape of things. But Reed Warren from IT Valuations. And by the way, thanks for mentioning. Again, if I didn't, if I didn't say it enough, thank you for taking two days out of your life coming out to Denver in August for Community Minds this year. Everybody who came to your session really like started to understand like how does the calculation work, right? And not just from... I'm trying to buy, I'm trying to sell. It could be, 
hey, I'm trying to raise funds, right? right? Could be from traditional sources, right? Banks, line of credit, stuff like that. How does those financial institutions value this industry, right? And how do they look at you versus like, what's the difference between Reed and and like, I can go all over the place, but like, if I'm going to the bank and I want to borrow money, I know it's kind of high right now, 7% or something. But like, let's say I want to get a, a pretty big line of credit, right? For my for my IT company. What, you know, what's stopping them from viewing the IT business as the same as like a plumbing HVAC company, right? Like you're both in a service-based industry. You both have hardware, right. fixed cost. You both have labor, you know, and, and ongoing services. You know, like I feel like this industry for a long, long time was maybe miscategorized, right? How the... <clears throat> the finance people of the world viewed it. So I think the work that you do, uh, and, and, you know, I know you work with a lot of peer groups and accountability groups and, you know, basically you're like the, you know, independent third party in, in the conversation, right. When it comes to, right. you know, people, you know, and, you know, talking about transactions in, in our sandbox. Um, I'm curious, you know, I'm going to zoom out for a second. I want you to answer that question. If you're an MSP and you want to grow, Maybe you're not going, but you're not going to want to buy somebody. Maybe you don't want to merge with someone. Maybe you don't want to sell. Fine. Maybe you want to go to the traditional route. You're going to grow granularly. You need to borrow money to do that. How does that conversation look today at the end of 2023? Yeah, really good. I just want to back up really quickly to MSP initiative. Really appreciate being there. It was a lot of fun. I would just say everybody I know that went there uh, had a really positive experience. It was nice. Uh, I think everybody felt nice not being sold to um, from that perspective. But really, you know, so much of the conversation we're having here, you know, really kind of launched out of that. That says similar to owning a home, you want to drive the most value out of your home, right? You yeah. you, you know that at some point you got to leave it to your kids or you're going to sell it or you got to do something with it because you can't take it with you. And so you really want it to be as as valuable as you can as you can realistically make it. Um, and there's always this balance of how fast you want to work on it. All of that takes financing and capital to do that, whether eventually I'm going to sell or whether I'm going to remodel or whatever I'm going to do to it. Um, the amount I can borrow against it or sell it for uh, needs to be as high as possible. So what can I be doing to drive value in my business? And so when you look at it, how is it different from like a plumbers and you know those other pieces? So much of the industry fails to understand just, uh, and I would say, uh, uh, let me back up when I say industry, really kind of the U.S. marketplace, you look at valuators who do valuations. A lot of them are just attorneys that are used to doing a lot of, you know, hey, I value all sorts of businesses. And I kind of treat them all the same um, as specialists, specifically in technology and particularly MSPs where most of our clients are at. We'd spend a lot of time do, working with that and really understanding and really able to articulate back, even back out to banks. This is the value that reoccurring revenue has. This is the value um, of high profit EBITDA as it, as it relates to other peers and in other industries. And so being able to articulate growth rate, EBITDA, profit, customer uh, concentration or lack of customer concentration because you don't want to have customer concentration, but all these factors really fundamentally drive, uh, drive value. And so when you step back and you look at it that says, hey, if I want to uh, improve the value of my business for the sake of doing acquisitions, um, buying other companies, hey, then I need to have as profitable a base and platform as I can. Um, if I want to sell the business eventually, I need to have as profitable and, and growing a base as I can possibly have. So either, regardless of the direction that you go as a business owner, um, understanding what drives value and maximizing the value of your business 
is one of the most critical things you can ever do. And so when you look at it, um, the, the first, if I'm going to just touch on the top several elements, the first one everybody talks about is profitability. Candidly, profitability is what gets multiplied. So it's the fastest way to change the value of your business is changing the profitability of your business. If you take your business and your 500,000 EBITDA and you grow it to 600,000, well, you just added 20% value to the to your total value of the business. So EBITDA transforms the value of your business faster than any element. Second behind that is growth rate. And so being able to grow faster than the market is. So today the market's growing at about 10.8% from the MSP space. If you're, um, you know, if you want to be able to improve the multiple that you have, hey, growing at 20% will add two or three kind of turns. We call it turns. So it'll take you from a 5X multiple to a 7X multiple. If you grow, can grow at 20% year over year and have a history of being able to do that. So you look at those kinds of elements that drive value, customer concentration, recurring revenue. Uh, recurring revenue is one of the bigger ones because every buyer wants to know what is the predictability of this profit over time. So the more that's recurring, hey, the more predictable the business is, therefore, the higher the investment or the value I can place upon it because I'm not worried about in three years, your customers disappearing or that revenue, particularly the profit behind it disappearing. And so those kinds of elements uh, really transform the the value of the business. Interesting. So let's just zoom out, right? Every year, yep. I kind of want to get a feel from you because like how many, like is, you know, probably across the course of a year, you're involved in what, 100 to 200 conversations that could be somebody who's looking to maybe get into it. Maybe it's an active transaction. So like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just throwing a number out there. I, don't, I think yeah, that's probably five, but it's okay. okay. hundred. All right. Yeah. All right. Cool. But 500. We, so you well, have like a little, uh, yeah. maybe a macro view of what's going on. Does the, you know, do you feel the statement that this industry tends to not get affected as much as others when it comes to like the global marketplace, right? And like the economy, do you feel that that statement is still accurate now in 2023, you know, where, hey, the stock market might not be in the best place, the interest rates kind of high, like the housing market kind of, you know, is in this place. But does that does that really not affect the technology services space? No, it absolutely affects the technology services space. And let me clarify that. So we've seen the um probably the best way for me to find it is we look at companies industry specific risk company specific risk um economic risk is a part of our valuation process so okay. we need to know what's happening in the macroeconomic factors inflation's up interest rates are up blah 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 uh, then we look at what's happening um not only in the macro but also in the industry and then we also look at specifically at the company so you think about three different levels of risk that we assess in our valuation process so one of the things that's fascinating is if you went back pre-COVID, you had um, industry-specific or you had industry risk that was in the neighborhood of about two and a half percent. So above what what would be so. What if do you, you mean by at, risk? Meaning like. So yeah. yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Let me just try to define that in in as best I can from layman terms. So um, so if all things were equal, the IT services industry was riskier than the national average. Hmm. And today we have seen that the um, the IT services industry is less risky than the um, national average, if you were to look at it that way, by about 1%. So the, the point is, is there's been a, um, 
let me translate that again because one percent is misleading. Um, when you look at the so if you look at the overall uh, market economy, when we talk about a one percent move, that's like a thirty percent value change in in the industry risk uh, because the industry risk is going to range anywhere between negative three and positive three as a general rule. So it went from a positive two to a negative one. And so I know I'm throwing some numbers out there. That's a material move. Uh, the point of what we're trying to say with that is we've seen this really consistently here in 2023. COVID proved that the U.S. economy cannot operate without managed service providers. You can't run a business today without an MSP um, or infrastructure managed services, and you've got to own them. So you have two choices. Either I got to buy all that talent and all the technology and figure out how to use it, or I've got to outsource it. And so what we've seen from COVID moving forward is the managed services industry has gotten increasingly less risky because of the incredible dependency of the macroeconomic factors on infrastructure and technology to be able to survive and be able to operate. I'm a great example consumer of that. You shut down my network and don't give me access to my data. I can't do my job. I'm out of business tomorrow if I don't have infrastructure behind that. I have to have an MSP. And so the reality is more and more businesses and nearly every business today now has to have technology to operate. So as a result, we see the, the decreased risk factor. What does that mean? That means for particularly when we have public market instability, uh, private equity or investors are looking for the lowest risk options to invest their money where you can have the greatest returns. IT services has some of the lowest risk um, in the industry and has some of the greatest returns in the in, when you compare one industry to another. Mm. And so as a result, I can buy an MSP and if it's growing at 20%, I'm getting a 20% internal rate of return on my investment. I can't get that in the marketplace. So when you look at where do wealthy money wealthy people spend their money, Hey, a lot of them will put it into the stock market, but whenever we see pub public market instability, we see a massive shift to the private markets. Today, we've seen the number of private equity companies grow from, if you would go back pre-COVID, there was about 125 to 150 that were real players. Today, it's over 400 players that are private equity companies have funds that are trying to do acquisitions in the technology services area because of that low risk, high return opportunity um, that is that is present within the managed services, particularly the managed services industry and its recurring revenue. So you just painted, I mean, th this has been a question that's been coming out for the last five years. Was it because of the big software companies in the sandbox that got discovered, you know, that Wall Street finally realized that this is a, you know, an investable space was that it? Was it the Dados and the ConnectWises and the Enables and the, the Kaseyas, right? Or, you know, maybe that was part of it, but you, what you just said was pretty glaring, right? Like we're talking from 2020 to the end of 2023 here, let's call it four yep. years. You went from 120 to 150 to now f over 400. So that's a 4X growth in terms of people or, that started entities that said, Instead of going to invest in the public markets or going putting money in the bank or treasury but notes or bonds, you should invest your money here because we're going to have a better return on your money than the normal markets. And so if you're telling me that there's four, you know, I don't know, all 400 are interested in the MSP space, but clearly more today than there was in 2020, now we understand why there's so much activity. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got all these companies trying to buy platforms. There's not enough platforms to buy. So now it becomes, you know, how do we buy? So I, 2024 is going to be the, it, we're going to call it, we're calling it the year of the bundle. 
because, hey, there's not platforms to buy. So we're going to bundle a bunch of you guys together. We're going to buy you as a group. 2023 was the year of the merger for us where you had, you know, companies coming together as peer groups that said, hey, if we could go, if three of us are at a, you know, kind of at a 5X multiple, we come together. Now we can be just by coming together, we can move to an 8X multiple. I just added 40% value to my business or as a shareholder, 40% increase in value. And I didn't have to change the way I was doing things, right? So we saw that trend continuing or we see, saw that trend in 2023. We see it continuing in 2024, actually growing. 2024, because of the private equity demand, there's still something like $2.8 trillion of PE money that still needs to be spent. Uh, private equity can't invest it. They have to buy companies that can't put it in the market. or, the, or And so they, they're under pressure to actually leverage that money to do acquisitions. And so when you talk about what's changing it, yes, some of the ConnectWises and Dados and all of those larger companies are impacting it. The reality is not so much um, at that, you know, the the behemoths of the an industry. It's really the the everyday MSP that's that's in business, that's carrying a load. Those are the companies that are actually transforming and sustaining the U.S. economy. And so we just see a huge push to go, hey, how can we, as an industry, it's going into consolidation mode right now, but how do we acquire these companies that have been in that, that five, $10 million space that candidly pre-COVID nobody even looked at? Now we're like, hey, these are these are the okay. uh, the okay. center of the the bullseye for ideal companies to acquire. Very interesting. All right, so we had like 2020 into 2021. I feel like if you did a transaction by the end of 2021, like November, December, maybe beginning of 2022, maybe you got like pretty high, right, on the terms yep. of the, on the how the math worked out. Maybe they yep. overspent, right? Yep. And then like kind of started going down. I think last time we talked back in August, like kind of plateaued a little bit, maybe started going back up. Does the reality that there's whatever trillion unspent that they have to spend going into 2024, do you see that now bouncing back or is it still very conservative in terms of the the, the multiples and the payouts? Yeah, I would say that pretty much June or summer of 2022 was the peak of the whole um, and that's partly because your interest rates were the lowest possible. You had all this pent up demand and PE public market instability was starting to hit. And so you had all these factors that were driving um, private equity to do acquisitions or this consolidation movement to start within the MSP community today. Um, I would say the demand is has not materially changed. The interest rates are the biggest things that are that is keeping that slow. Um, I think when you look, you know, down the road and you look at 2024, 2025 and beyond, um, election years tend to be pretty stable years because nobody really wants to rock the boat. Everybody wants to take credit for anything good that happened. So nobody's trying to, you know, really run things into the ground. Um, not saying that any administration ever does that. I'm just going to step out of the political mess I just created. Uh, but the point is this. Really, nothing in 2024 on the horizon, 2025, 2026 is going to change that demand cycle. The biggest impacts that would change uh, the the transaction, um, we're going to talk about velocity first, transaction velocity uh, would be if the public markets really rebound nicely here and they really start to grow and you could start to get, you know, uh, 18, 24% returns in the public markets. Yep, we'll see the velocity in the private sector slow down as a result of that. Uh, nobody's really forecasting that rebound anytime soon, so I'm not really worried about it. 
what will accelerate uh, the transaction velocity materially is, I know interest rates are high, but they're also at a, something of an all-time high. They, we expect them to start retracing. Uh, when they start retracing, you're going to see cost of capital going down. When cost of capital goes down, transaction velocity goes up and multiples tend to go up. So what, what I anticipate happening here is that things will stay pretty stable from a multiples perspective and from a velocity perspective kind of through 2024. But as interest rates go down, I do expect that you're going to see the multiples start to tick back up again. They come down just they've dipped a little bit, but I would not call them down. They've just they're off of their peak. Uh, from where they were in 2022. But um, again, for most of the segments that we look at, uh, the $1 million to $5 million segment that we, in EBITDA, that we play with the most, most of those are are not, they're down about a half a turn. Uh, if you're below a million, we've seen almost a one to one and a half turn deep uh, retracement. Above it, we've seen some retracement, but we saw some pretty, pretty, um, pretty bullish moves in 2022, buying some of the high growth, high profit companies that were there for sale. Can't quite get the same level today out of it. Uh, but almost all that has to do with, with interest rates and inflation. So would your advice be, if you're an MSB, you're pretty healthy. Maybe you yeah. might want to tweak your books and make sure everything's good. Like, you know, your paper's right. Your, your documentation trail's good. But if you're not in a position where you're in a rush, it might not be the worst idea to just business as usual, keep growing, keep doing what you're doing, make sure that you're, you know, keeping everything clean. Maybe you get an outside consultant, you know, in a couple of places to make sure everything's in a good place, but maybe you're not going to make any moves for, you know, just let time progress, let the markets continue. And then maybe in a year or two, you'll see that you might be more interested in making a move. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, there's, there's, you're not under the gun to make any many moves that you, there's not a bubble that's going to burst here that suddenly, you know, um, value is going to drop overnight. Uh, so right now you've got factors working for you. You've got um, an overall market that's in slow growth. It's in a slow growth mode in spite of inflation. Um, your customer bases aren't, you know, quitting technology. So you don't really have to worry about, you have to worry about them going to a competitor, but you don't have to worry about them going, you know, I don't need infrastructure today. So, um, and, and disappearing. So you have a very stable environment actually to be able to operate. Um, and the demand is going to continue to grow um, as, as you go forward. So you got a lot of things going in your favor. There's nothing, there's nothing to rush for that. So it really comes back to understanding your personal wealth target. I would just tell you, there is things on the, and I would say they're just things in the industry that are going to be disruptors. Every every generation, technology generation has its disruptors, right? It was the cloud. If you go back 10 years ago, oh my gosh, what's going to happen with the cloud? And you know, and then it was cybersecurity. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen with cybersecurity? And now we've got AI and it's going to be, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? You, so you do have to pivot your business or and you do have to innovate or you do run the risk of going out of business, but you have a relatively stable economic environment to actually for the managed services market to uh, MSP market, to be able to continue to scale and grow. So it really comes back to what's your personal wealth target? How are you tracking towards that? And then when you once you hit that number, you should execute on it, but you're not in a rush to do it, but there's no reason to delay on it either. It's not like we expect that the inter, that the multiples are gonna go up dramatically. They've been at a, at a pretty much an all-time high. They've retraced a little bit, but we anticipate them being pretty stable um, as we go forward. And so I would say you're not in a rush, but I wouldn't necessarily delay any longer than you need to either. 
um, on that. So fair earlier in the year, I think I asked you the question, Hey, macro, do you see the industry shrinking or growing? And I think you told me and correct me if I'm wrong, that you think they're going to be net more net MSPs in terms of new companies entering the space than the people who are getting acquired or merged. And so you think the industry is growing over the next two, three years. I, I would agree on that. And ConnectWise, uh, I was at the ConnectWise conference. ConnectWise talked about that pretty significantly, that there's almost a three to one ratio of companies coming into the market than are being consolidated and going out of business. So you still have a lot, lot of small, whenever, and we, this is generally true, whenever you have new technology that emerges and hits, there's this opportunity to, to use it to displace uh, you know, the incumbent that's there. So, you know, you will always have those, those companies, whether it's, you know, whether it's kids coming out of college who figured out how to use AI better than you did, who's like, Hey, here's a cool thing. If we could put this together, we've got this competitive wedge to, you know, open up, get some accounts, get things going. And so you do have more companies uh, coming into existence than are going out of existence in this space. Um, and that's also part of what's driving this massive consolidation that we're seeing uh, across the the IT services industry as well as, hey, we can only handle so many. So you've either got to grow, you kind of got to go big or go home is kind of the thing. So you've either got to grow aggressively, you got to be acquired, or you're probably going to go out of business if you're not innovating pretty aggressively in today's market. Okay. I uh, It's funny because we kind of jokingly talk about this number over time, right? Like, what is the actual number, right? You know, the Jay McBain's of the world, right? What's the actual yeah. number of MSPs globally? Yeah, I was on a call with another vendor in the space, like within the last two weeks. And they were like, oh yeah, there's 90,000 IT companies in Germany alone. And I'm like, I've never heard that number before. Where, yeah, like 90,000, that almost seems like it's more than North America. Like what's going on? And so I just feel like when you take all of the acronym categorizations, right? And you start to smash them together. I think the number might be way larger than we think. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. And so like, it, it was a shock. It was, I was shocked to hear that number, 90,000. I was almost like, I did question it. I'm like, are you sure? They're like, oh yeah, we're very sure. I was like, okay, cool. And so <laughs> like, you know, from your perspective, do you see it? You know, I'm sure a lot of your focus is here, domestic, US, Canada, but are you seeing a lot of international roll-ups now? Because it seems to be more common, like this follow the sun, you know, kind of mentality, where if you have an office, let's say in Europe, you got an MSP here in the US, maybe there's another one down in, yep. like in Australia, New Zealand, you roll them, or South Africa, you roll them together. Now you can get yep. that, you know, kind of 24-hour coverage. Yeah, we're seeing that globalization certainly is taking effect on that. Uh, I can outsource or I can own. Um, and so people, uh, you know, there was a big push uh, for the whole offshoring model, and that goes back five years or so. You know, today, yes, that's still a, a growing trend, uh, but there is this growing trend to go, hey, let's just let's just actually acquire businesses that can do it. And then the employees are ours. We have less volatility um, as a result of owning that. We can control the environment and the the corporate culture and a lot of those different elements. And so we are seeing. Pretty, I would not call it a, a fast trend, but it's a growing trend of just saying, hey, especially as you move through, you know, the 50 million in revenue size and the managed service space, now you start to have capacity to go, hey, we're just going to have, you know, these centers of excellence around the world to be able to provide 24-hour services because truly, 
the the end customer today if they're not already expecting it they will be expecting it soon 24 hour 7 coverage because they can't afford to be down even in the middle of the night okay fair enough so <clears throat> throughout this year right i mean you know i thought we were going to have a little bit of a financial back drop off at the end of 2023 it didn't turn out that's a good thing by the yeah, way that's a good thing um 500 different, you know, potential, you know, things that you worked on this year. Do you see any trends, right? Like what, it, what, you know, if you zoomed out, what would, if you were talking to somebody just at the bar, what are you, what are you seeing generally for over the course of this year? Are things generally the same as last year? Are you seeing things kind of shift a little bit or is it just business as usual? No, I, I would say I've seen a couple of things shift this year. So a lot of, so let me provide some context. So we meet with a lot of people, talk to a lot of people through the whole journey. We'll do 100 to 120 valuations a year. We'll do, uh, this year we'll do uh, eight mergers where you have multiple entities, one's as large, four that we're bringing together, four companies bringing together into a new entity. And then uh, we usually do five to 10 transactions. This Last year we did nine. This year we'll do uh, eight transactions as a part of that. But there's just then there's the whole sidelines conversations are in all these places that happened. And so I'm swagging at 500. But um, that's context of what IT valuation does. You know, as we looked at 2022, 2022 um, at the peak, hey, if you had good EBITDA, good growth, you know, you could fog a mirror, you know, they'd hire you. And it was pretty fast transactions um, today. Um, I, I really do feel like um, through the conversations that the 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 prize companies have been acquired. So those that were, you know, the the gems that were, you know, there have been acquired. And so what's left is a lot of companies that need to develop and improve. They're sort of diamonds in the rough, but they're pretty rough. Um, and so when we into the transaction, we've seen in 2023 the level of scrutiny on in transactions has get, gone up materially. Now there's a couple of reasons for that. One is I would say that the quality of the company selling has not been as great as what was we saw in 2022. Um, the other the other thing that's happened is uh, because of the increased uh, interest rates, uh, banks are becoming much, they're really scrutinizing the investment uh, much more close, closely. And so whether it's private equity, because um, private equity uses banks or strategic buyers use banks, and this comes back to our first part of our conversation, how bankable are you? The more bankable you are, the more people that can can actually buy you and pull that off. And banks in the in the end, whether that's investment banks or traditional banks or the SBA, have this view about how businesses ought to run and profitability should be able to generate. And they will lend based upon its a business's ability to generate cash um, and generate profits. And so in the end, what we've seen because of the inflated interest rates, we've just seen a much higher level of scrutiny on the sellers that that have occurred. And so what I, you know, if you were to go back pre-COVID um, and in the years after COVID, we saw that so much the consolidation start to happen. Uh, there, the, there was a lot of uh, purchase and premiums paid um, for high quartile, high profitability, high growth type companies. Uh, and today, a lot of that has already been acquired out. And so one of the things that we're doing when we look at business transformation, um, so we're launching uh, here in June of 2024, so it's still upcoming, but we're launching, we haven't marked, come up with a name yet, but Business Transformation Academy, we've just seen there's so many companies, great MSPs that need uh, 
just need outside, um, I'm going to say, into, you know, intellectual investment, right? These are, you need somebody to come in as an outside entity, really look at it, really help evaluate. We've joined up with Jason Knight uh, to help drive that uh, process. But our commitment is to double the value of any MSP that joins a program in two years. Um, we're confident that we can do that. Uh, we're confident that we know the levers on how to drive value. And so our commitment is either 2x the value of the business or 10x the amount you spend with us to help us get you there. Um, because there's just such a shortage of really high caliber uh, firms that are out there that are really being progressive. And I, I get it. I'm an, I'm, you know, I'm an owner. I understand the pain that you go through as an owner. It's like, hey, is this really a good idea? I don't really know. Let's try these different things, right? And so really being able to have this outside kind of sounding board slash board of directors um, and tactical uh, people that can help you execute to, towards business transformation, you're able to take a lot of those good ideas that you have as an owner and actually be able to get the sounding board. Is this the right move? Should I do that? And then really help, how do I execute that within my business such that I can drive up the value of the business? And so that'll be coming in in 2024. We're excited about it. But that, so much of that is as we work in the market, MSP market space specifically, we just find a lot of great companies that are really a lot of great diamonds in the rough, but don't have the support and the structure around them to be able to actually take action on a lot of the ideas, a lot of the change that they want to bring. They're not sure of it. And that indecision actually kind of um, sort of kills it. But I understand the concerns like, is this really going to work? Is this going to fly? And so having a sounding board, having the right pieces where you can bring in a a tactical team to help execute against some of those initiatives and strategies, help drive up the value of the business, I think is really paramount. I would say if there's, uh, you know, as if you're listening to today, I think if, as you look at 2024 and 2025, I think if you were to, to take one takeaway from this, it's how do I create differentiation for the services that I do? And, and I, I've had some clients come back and say, well, you know, it's kind of like I own a burger shop and there's lots of burger shops in there. How do I do something different. It's like, well, you know, if you put two burgers in there and you put a piece of bread behind it and smear some secret sauce, you can call it a, a you know, a Big Mac. Um, you know, you can call it a Juicy Lucy. You can, and so a lot of the stuff is taking a lot of what's standard and putting some creativity to it, giving it a brand, giving it an identity, making it unique in the marketplace is going to really drive up your value and create differentiation. So the third item behind profitability, growth, um, the item behind that would be differentiation is really the one of the fastest things to transform the value of your business. And candidly, buyers are looking for something, somebody that has something different. And so how commoditized you are and how much you look like the guy down the street is going to decrease the value of your business. The more that you have something that's unique and different, uh, innovative twist, a blend of with AI, you just have to look at those things but if you're able to create something that's same technology stack, but something that's unique in the place or a unique value proposition, those companies are the ones that are actually going to see some of the greatest transformation in value and growth. Yeah. I mean, here's a problem, Reed. I mean, we just, we were both at IT Nation a few weeks back, right? I mean, a lot of people are buying the same thing from the same companies, right? I mean, um, I, you know, I would say, and, and you know, I'm, I'm curious what your answer is. I don't know what percentage you're finding MSPs have an internal, you know, DevOps development coding capability, right? Where they can, you know, take the, you know, you know, platform tech, let's call it that, right? The right. stack that everybody's using and make it do something different, right? Um, 
I know some some companies do, and some companies actually spin off SaaS companies as a result right. of that work, right? Like we've right. seen some pretty successful stories start that way. Right. I think some of the most successful stories actually. Um, but that being said, that's very few in my opinion. And so as a result, right? Like they're taking the cookie cutter, you know, technology stack and they're, you know, putting a logo and a website up and they're like, all right, let's start seeing who I can do business with in my region, right? Because I still think the IT services and managed services conversation, as much as you want to say, you know, there's national entities that could probably count them, you know, they're right. more regional, right? So, right. so, uh, you know, how do you different, you know, like you have to get very creative in marketing, I think, and, and, you know, be able to, you know, create a brand, you know, around what you're offering, you know, that's different than, hey, I'm an IT company. If you need, you have blinking light, call me. Um, Cause that's kind of yeah. what the messaging is, right? Yeah, and so I think the the um, innovative leader is going to find a way, to, and that one of the best ways that I'm going to say to do that is through a verticalization strategy. So we really have come back and said, "Hey, we've we've seen companies that have gone after the dental IT space," and you go, "Oh my gosh, COVID! That must have really hurt." No, actually, most of them did really good through COVID because dentists can't shut off their technology; they they have to have it ready to op when they come in. They need to put x-rays on the screen and those x-rays come through an infrastructure. I have to have that infrastructure running. And so we saw that dental IT did okay, even though the dentistry industry really struggled through, through the COVID time period. Uh, we saw the same thing in hospitality. Hey, uh, hey, hotels really struggled. You know what? None of those hotels could actually shut off their technology. Um, and so what we saw happening, we saw, had a number of clients that specialized in the hospitality space. Uh, one of the ones that did the best um, had this, what happened during COVID was hotels bought and sold because they don't really go out of business. And so they had this uh, M&A readiness assessment, technology assessment for hotels that could assess all the technology within the hotel and take a look at it from cybersecurity and compliance perspective, risk perspective. They crushed it during COVID um, mm -hmm. because, hey, every hotel needed that done as a part of the sale of the hotel. And then well, who else to come in and actually run the infrastructure of the hotel than the company that did the assessment? They grew 30% during uh, the, the COVID uh, period because of that focus, because they had differentiations they brand for. Same technology everybody has today. They just figured out a way to package it for hospitality. They just figured out how to package that technology for the dental healthcare space. And whether you look at those or you look at um, legal space, there's companies that are focused on the legal um, architecture, engineering, construction, some of the best companies I know have, have done, worked well there. They've just taken that same technology and packed it for a specific segment of that industry, not the whole industry, but it's like, no, we really work best with, you know, uh, 100 to 500 person construction organizations. And we have this uh, construction IT service and we do RFID tags to help track their equipment. We build a and so coming back to the hamburger conversation, it's the same set of ingredients, but I've now packaged it specifically for the construction space or for the engineering space or for the you know the legal space. Some of the best I've seen have been in financial services, whether that's insurance companies and really building an IT package for your insurance agent or fund managers. Uh, and so you've got to look at these in these segments, take a look at a couple of things around verticalization. One, you got to be passionate about the vertical, right? So if you don't like talking to attorneys, don't go after the legal space, but you have to be passionate about the industry. You have to have case study and story, but naturally 
if you like working with a particular segment of that market, you will already have probably a good 20% of your customer base that falls into that category. And then the third element you need is case study and story. So you need to have examples that you're able to take to the market, but you can pull together those customers that if, that are, they may be in manufacturing, pull together those customers and say, hey, if we were to build out a better solution for manufacturing, what would it be? Well, is it inventory management? Is it some of these other pieces that bolt into the technology or maybe it's the manufacturing line itself needs infrastructure? How do I build an IT services, managed services solution that fits that segment? Now you can have a very customized, very differentiated go-to-market strategy um, that's different from any other generalist in your local space because candidly, you already understand uh, the manufacturing assembly lines um, and you will beat out every competitor, even national competitors that are industry agnostic because you have specific experience and expertise in that segment. And so whether it's banking, whether it's credit unions, whether it's doctors, whether it's attorneys, whether it's accountants, we've seen consistently companies that verticalize and build out a set of services specifically for a segment grow faster, have higher profitability, and in the end, uh, because of that differentiation, they have a much higher level, uh, different value in the marketplace and sell for several multiples higher than your generalist in the same geography. All right. That's all good advice because, I mean, quite frankly, these questions I'm sure come up all the time. Let me flip uh, the other way. I know we've talked about all these scenarios. I know every year, you know, and, you know, you, you've changed the name to protect the, uh, you know, the people in the, in the movie, right? Um I remember one story you told me back in August where, you know, I guess, you know, this guy had hit absolute burnout. He's like, I just need to sell this thing and get out of it. You're like, hey, if you spend six to eight months and like fix your books, you could take, you could get, it could go from 2 million to 4 million. Like you could double. Yes. And the guy's like, nope, don't have the time. Sell for the 2 million. Too tired. And I was like, wow, um, crazy, right? You know, you're not talking about six, to eight years. You're talking about less than a year. And the guy could have doubled the value of the company. Was there any story like that this year where it was like blatant, 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 like, don't do this because um, your your outcome will be bad? I know that was one example, but. Yeah, so there, I mean, there's there's several that we're in and most of them are going to tie back to um, we have a transaction we're trying to get done, um, but they're, they're just. The, the best piece of advice I give you is leverage advisors, use advisors. M most people try to go, well, I don't want to pay for an attorney. So uh, I'm just going to go on to legal zoom and just kind of use what they have. Ah, I, I, you know, how hard's QuickBooks? I don't really need a CPA. I'll just, you, I, I can pick up QuickBooks for dummies and figure out how to do that. You know, in this situation, uh, you know, we found out, um, you know, we got into it. Um, there were some local taxes they weren't aware of. They hadn't been paying those for, over 10 years when they came to sell the business, there's literally a million dollar past due that they just didn't even know they need to pay. Um, and because they just, they weren't actually tracking uh, what was happening, what was happening at the city and at the, and some of the, the county levels. And so there's this backward tax piece. So uh, the point is, is that, Hey, having a good tax advisor on the journey, now they've got a real issue with trying to sell the business. Because hey, they can't afford they can't afford not to sell the business either. Because in the end, with that much, hot, they don't have a million dollars to 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 come together. So it puts a lot of strain on the on the transaction. But whether it's having a good CPA, 
having good uh, your contracts in order. Look, all of those people understand us from a transaction perspective and valuation perspective, understand that we've got to bring more value to you than it costs you to spend on us. And, and so many of the, the mistakes or the painful situations that we run into when we come to transactions has to do with the fact that people just try to do it cheaply. And now you're into a transaction and you're trying to sell your business and you have an issue that you tried to do cheaply um, that's going to cost you way more than it would have ever cost you to have done it right the first time. And so it's sort of like, you know, you can go through and a lot of people do home repair. And I'm, I'm one of those guys that that have done that. But having somebody that come in and can actually put everything to code and build it to code saves you down the road from coming back and saying, you know, this wasn't done to code. So we can't sell your house because this wasn't done right. And now you've got the problem of having to redo the work that was done, whether if you just done it right the first time, it would have saved you heartache and grief um, down the road. And so different than uh, than selling your house, the, when you sell a business, due diligence is all about actually a, a very close examination of the business to find out all of these different issues. And so especially as you get to be acquired by the private equity firm, you will have experts in tax that will do tax analysis. You'll have companies that'll come in and take a look at your insurance and your insurance compliance. You're going to take a look at, you know, your legal and all the legal different elements. There, there is no stone unturned and you can't go into it hoping that I hope they don't find it because if they do, then they're going to say, well, you didn't tell us about this. And as a result, trust is reduced. And so, so much of that stuff, when you look at, at actually, you know, take advantage of the fact that you have time in today's marketplace Take the time to get your ducks in a row. Take a time to have a legal assessment done, a financial assessment done, have a tax assessment done, have insurance done, so that you put all those ducks in a row so that when you get to the place where the transaction matters most, you're not finding these, these hidden bombs, hidden mines that are going to uh, derail or actually um, cause the transaction not to occur at the time that you want it to. Now you may be put off. These guys are going to be put off probably a couple of years before they can recover and take their market, their business back to market. And just like, yeah, but they're tired today. Yeah, it's the unfortunate reality. And so there's a lot of good advisors along that way. Um, I love what, what MSP Initiative is doing with trying to bring people on, advisors and, and vendors into the community to be able to support you guys. In the end, we all understand the fundamental premise. We got to bring more value than it costs. We're here to help you get there. Um, and these kinds of things will roost at some point um, and, and the earlier you deal with them, the better off. No, that's, that's good advice. I mean, it, you know, catch 22, right? When you first start your business, you know, you're trying to figure out any way to generate revenue, especially yeah. if you're going from, you know, Hey, I was getting a corporate you know, job and I went out and started my own thing, you know, like that's when you usually take the customers that are maybe not the best customers, right? Just get started. You're also trying to like, you know, rub two sticks together to try and get right. there. And then like, you kind of figure it out, right? Like, yeah, you probably need a CPA at the end of the year to do taxes, fine. But like, yeah, you, know, you kind of figure out how to get by, right? Yeah, you know, with yeah. like the minimum. And then like over time, at what point does like the light bulb go off and say, I guess I should start to, you know, go, what's the next level, right? Like, you know, what, you know, usually you don't run into a specialist until you have a problem, right? right. Like at what point do you, you know, is during the journey of, of this style of business, you say, well, I'm not selling anytime soon, but I really ought to have this, this, and this turned on because I hadn't really thought about that because I was still in startup mode, right? Like there's got to be 
know, because at that point they can afford it, right? Like right. they may not even be able to afford it when you're starting out, but maybe two, three, four years into the business, now you're starting to see growth. You've added more people into the company. Now there is funds available to pay for a consultant, a specialist, et cetera. You know, I just don't think people, to your point, they don't know when the right time to do that is until something usually bad happens, Reed. Let's right. put <laughs> No, so I think there's a couple of things. Um, certainly love what service leadership has done. There's there's others. Robin Robbins has different programs that, to help with different things. I would just say probably at least less expensive than that. Um, it's certainly what we do at IT Evaluation. For a lot of people, starting with evaluation is is the one of the best places to start um, because in the end, we've got to look at company-specific risk, which is how much risky are you than the national average versus the industry average versus your peers in the marketplace and your ge geographic location. We have to look at, hey, how mature is your operation or under-mature is the operation? How financially mature? How legally ready? All of these different elements. And so as a part of the valuation process, we touch, there's 19 different elements that drive value. We track those 19. Uh, but you get- that doesn't mean 19 different specialists. No, it doesn't mean 19 different specialists, but there's 19 things that actually will change the value of your business. And you need to understand what those 19 are. So the result of the valuation, I would just tell you, it's sort of sad, but it's the truth. Um, most people, 90% of people that get companies that have a valuation are underwhelmed with the value of their business. And a lot of that is because they didn't understand these elements that drive value. And if they just had, you know, most of them are coming into a transaction and they go, oh my gosh, if I just understood that, I would have done it differently. Well, take advantage of the fact that 6,500 bucks, most of people can afford that. You'll have great clarity around um, what those elements are, how you can transform the value. Again, you have time working for you as you look at the marketplace and going forward. And so understanding that today sets you up uh, two years, three years from now for being able to have a much more valuable transaction when you eventually get ready to sell rather than discovering at that point, wow, I left $2 million on the table because I just didn't fix some stuff and I'm too tired to go back and fix now that. That. And that should be the next workshop. 19 things that your business is valued on. Happy like to do that. it. Because I'm going to tell you right now, Reed, take every single entity that's come before both of us that tried to train people on how to operate in this industry. They usually concentrate on like service desk operations yeah. and, you know, workflow and process maturity and like, like the, the, how the sausage, right? Yep. They don't talk about how that feeds into, well, this is how your company's valued. Right. And I think that's the missing part. I mean, yeah. to your point, you know, I forget where the quote came from. So this is my quote, but it's like, Hey, if you don't understand, if you're not going to take your business and ultimately grow it and sell it, then you just bought yourself a job, right? right. Like, you know, they're the only right. value it is like, you would have been almost better off to just go work for somebody else right. and have them deal with all the extra headache and just take your money and go home and be happy. Yeah. Well, and so that's one of the things that we're, we're weaving into our uh, valuations as a service. We'll launch that here in January, but it'll be an annual valuation with four quarterly updates. It's a subscription model. Uh, it's $700 a month. Um, but with that, we'll be uh, tracking quarter over quarter, year over year value creation. Um, we'll also be every quarter be setting a set of recommendations for the top three to five things that you can work on this quarter to improve the value of your business. And so we'll be touching on all those different 19 elements that drive value uh, and prioritizing them for you. So you go, you know, well, It'd be really helpful if I did this, but is it the most valuable thing? No, we'll be laying that out for you. So you have the ability to quarter on quarter, stay focused on driving up the value of your business 
And then from there, as we get visibility based upon your value creation trend line, plus your kind of your forecast, because we'll work with you on the forecasting piece, we'll start to be able to map out, hey, you will hit your personal wealth target in, let's just say, Q2 of 2025 as a result. What do you need to be doing today then to make sure that not only is the business value there, but you're actually ready uh, to start taking calls in, in 2025 and go, yep, I now know what I'm worth and I now know that I'm ready and can actually execute to a transaction strategy. So uh, that'll be rolling out. You can certainly reach out to us on that. But regardless of whether you work with us or there's others that do valuation work in the industry, um, understanding your value is, is the, just fundamental to every decision you make in your business. You need to be looking at your business and saying, how is this business decision that I'm going to make improve or change the value of my business? And so whether it is improved ticket operations, whether it is better utilization rates, whether it is looking at your legal contracts and putting your accounting together, all of those elements drive the value of your business. And so understanding how it, those elements drive the value will give you understanding and how to create value for your business for your personal wealth target or your successory plan or whatever element that you're working on from a long-term strategy perspective. No, it's, I mean, let's be honest. If you don't know where to spend your time, you end up probably burning your time on the, the wrong thing anyway, right? Yeah. Well, on your business rather than in your business thing. But right. um, so moving forward, big picture, what I got, I got a ton of stuff out of this, but, and that's a cool program that you just talked about. I'm sure it was at itvaluations.com. That is correct. Cool. So and read at is my email address. So read, read at R-E-E-D. Oh, there you go. So email read or go to the website and check out this new program. Sounds interesting. Definitely think it's worth a workshop. 19 things that ultimately happy to drive, do that. Drive value for your company. I mean, if you don't know them. And and what was those times? When when are we going? When's what, is it Nashville first? So there's Nashville and Denver. So yeah, I'll send Nashville. You but and, and I, love that? That. I love April, that. April 20th. Is that right? It's like April and July. I'll get you the dates. I'll get you the dates. But I like that as a workshop because quite frankly, sure. I don't, I don't think I think, I don't think I know the 19 things I want to learn. <laughs> Excuse me, myself. <laughs> Excuse me. That being said. Got you choked up about it, George. I know. I'm just, that being said, what I did get out of this is that it's all about creating, you know, getting these companies, whether, you know, whether it's yourself, because I've seen a lot of people sell an MSP, get past their period, go back and start another one. And then they're, they're doing it again, right? Because they know how the sausage is made again. Yep. So, or they'll go and consult for an, a, another group or another company to, you know, get them there because they just went through it internally, right? Not saying that they're displacing you, Reed, but like, yeah. you know, like they went through it. So I'm just saying like, there's money to be made here. If you understand one, what everyone's looking for Two, what does the good picture look like? And three, if all of yep. the obvious ones have been, you know, touched and bought or acquired or merged, then you need to create new ones. That right. these people out there basically have money in their hand ready to go once right. they hit something that they like. If you understand what that is, now you can just stop working day in, day out, on the ground, nights, weekends, vacations. We've heard it all. It's a hard, it's a hard business. It I is. You are. This is a brutal business and, and really can beat you up. But if you understand how to flip it around on the other side, you're working towards something rather than right. just working to get beat up. Right. I think that's right. important. Uh, Reed, thank you very much. We're going to get, get you the, I think, April and July dates. I got to go yeah. back myself. Community Minds, I love this workshop idea. ITvaluations.com. If you're in a peer group, you've probably already run into Reed somewhere. 
If not, if you're interested in being in a peer group, plenty we can recommend. <laughs> they help, you know, kind of get you in a good place as well. Yep. There it is. Thank you, Jen. April 17th and 18th is the one in Nashville. <laughs> um, and I'm sure she's looking up the other one. That being said, um, I'm going to keep tabs with you, right? Because like, yeah. you're, you're kind of we'll our, touch. like, you're like our barometer, right? To see, like, how how are things, you know, flowing through the industry? And quite frankly, I hope that things continue along the trend that they are because it's a good, it's a good industry. Yeah. You have to be mentally tough, right? To make, there it yeah. is, July 24th and 25th. So now you have both dates. All right. Um, you got to be mentally tough, but I feel, and I hate to use a football analogy because this coming weekend, Eagles. It's okay. 49ers, the Vikings lost. So it's all right. Eagles 49ers in South Philadelphia. It'll be interesting. You know, when you know what you're working towards, I feel like there's a little bit more aggressiveness and you're willing to go a little bit further because yes. you can maybe reach something. If you're just working in the dark, that's where you get the burnout mode. Yep. Absolutely. Totally agree. Thank you very much for everyone who, you know, is going to be listening to this and watching this. Again, MSBinitiative.com is where these sessions all live in podcast and video format. We have plenty with Reed. You can go backwards. We learn new things every time. I promise you it's not regurgitated. I personally take away new things every time. So if that means anything, go back and rewind because there's good knowledge there. We'll tell you when MSP Community Minds coming up next year. 19 things that's part of his program itvaluations.com but 19 things that ultimately are are deciders of how your company is valued hopefully in a positive way if you know what they are now you know what you can work on i digress i'll leave it right there reed thank you very much my friend thank catch, you catch you on catch you soon i'm sure all right take care george we'll see you in nashville you got it my friend see ya take care